I want to go tonight to an incredible lesson, part six, unveiling the mystery of Christianity. So many people have gotten back with me and told me they've been blessed with this series, and I'm grateful. And I want to continue because we're helping people, and I want to answer questions tonight. I want to, I want to talk about this subject or this question that people have probably wondered about our God that we worship. And there's some things I want to cover tonight, and some of these things are, is our God a mean judge? Is he a mean, powerful, ugly judge? Because you read a lot of scriptures where it seems like he's angry. <laughs> seems like he might get mad a lot. Of course, that's in the Old Testament. The other thing is uh, that we have to figure out tonight is do we have a lot of rules as Christians that we have to live by? We have to figure that out because a lot of people think that as Christians we have a lot of rules we go by. And they think that uh, they'd be very sad as a Christian. And I want to help explain tonight about our God and about how or way the way he expects us to live and serve him. And I want to show you tonight how amazing it is and how you might be confused about our God and about Christianity. Because maybe someone told you wrong. I take you to Genesis chapter 2 and 25 and then I'll go to Matthew chapter 5. This is going to be our, our springboard. We'll jump off from here tonight. The Bible says in 2.25 Genesis, the Lord God took the man. This is the first commandments and plans that God has for man. He took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and to keep it, to take care of it, to garden, which the older I get, the more that sounds like fun to me. At first, when I'm younger, you think it'd be boring to take care of the garden, but then, then you're like, Jesus, I would love just to do nothing but take care of the garden. Can you imagine little birds just singing to you and you're just, you're just getting little tomatoes and eating them? Wouldn't that be awesome, Brother Gary? You look like you're not very excited about that. You're like, I'd rather go to McDonald's, I think, than go have a garden. I think it'd be so cool to have a garden and work a garden. This was the setup for Adam and Eve. They had a garden. They took care of the garden. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely, everybody say freely. Free. free. Oh, there's that special word people are looking for in the world. Free, free, free. It was God's first commandment. First commandment. Everybody say first commandment. Freely eat. First commandment was freedom. The first plan was freedom. The first original plan was for man to be free. Freedom. This is freedom. You want to know what freedom is? Freedom is the ability to enjoy a great life, to have everything you need taken care of. That's freedom. That's God's definition of freedom and liberty. And he gave him one. Everybody say one. One, one rule, one commandment, one choice. But of the tree, in verse 17, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. No, no, you can eat it. He didn't say that, like, I'm going to protect you from it. You can eat it, but if you do, then the day you eat it, you're going to die. You're going to die. You're going to be cut off from life. So you can choose, if you want to, have freedom, or if you want to choose death, I'm letting you choose. Matthew 5, 17 and 18. Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Jesus did not come to destroy all of those big, scary laws in the Old Testament. He come to finish them because they were unfinished. Unfinished is not bad, it's just a work in progress. The Old Testament was a work in progress. So when we talk about the Old Testament tonight, let me make it very clear, the Old Testament was unfinished plans. It took God time. He unveiled it slowly. So when you talk to me as a Christian about God and the Old Testament, you must understand that it has been confessed right here in the Scripture that the Old Testament law... The Old Testament work of the prophets was simply unfinished business that Jesus completed. The fullness of the plan of God for you and I is through the teachings and life of Jesus Christ. This is very important because in a moment we'll pose that question and we'll answer that question. You can be seated and God bless you and thank you for joining out online. Thank you to all of our volunteers for helping get out here and keep worship going at Austin First Church. The, um, the phrase, it's against my religion, that, that phase, I believe that phase has run its course. I believe that the whole, the whole it's against my religion phase is done. 
I believe most people know today you just can't go around saying stuff like that. People will think you're crazy. I believe that this phase has failed. I believe the days of church folks walking around saying, I don't do it because it's against my religion, is over. That was a season. That was an easy cop-out for you not to have to know your Bible and for pastors not to have to teach their saints. That was an easy way out. Well, it's against my religion, and you better just give me, give me a break because we are living in America, and we have the freedom of religion, and if my religion says it's not right, I'm not doing it, and so back off. That phase is over. That phase failed. That phase was not the answer to a generation. That phase is not the openness and the wisdom and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. That, that phase was simply people living in ignorance, not really wanting to know who their God is, and it's hurt too many people. For too long, Christians have responded to the questions of our non-Christian friends and family by telling them what we are not allowed to do. Most of the people we know know us as the people who don't do things that they do. That's our definition. This is how they know us. It's so sad that we as Christians are known as the people who don't do fun things that don't know how to have a good time, don't know how to just let their hair down. We stress all the time about the man in the sky and how he's ready to kill us as soon as we make a mistake. We talk this way as if we despise the commandments of God. Well, I have to do this. It's against my religion or I need to do this because it's a sin. It's almost as if we're sad that we have to do it because the way that we defend ourselves is very pitiful. In most cases, it finds us tucking our tail between our legs and running to our pastor or running to Google or running to someone because we don't know how to defend all these complaints against our lifestyles. And so, therefore, it makes everybody not want to be a Christian. We have responded as if we're being forced to choose. No one's making us do this. You and I both know that I am, your, as your pastor, I'm not forcing anybody in this church to live his life. It is totally voluntary, totally optional. But yet we want to respond sometimes as if there's a gun to our head and someone's making us live this life. Nobody's making people sacrifice. Nobody's making anybody in this church do anything. But yet this is the portrayal of the church and Christians to the world. It's almost as if we have to. And that sounds nasty, doesn't it? I have to get my wife a birthday present because we're married. I have to get my kids a birthday party. I'm a dad. I have to go to work. I hate it, but I want money. Is this the fun way to live life? Is this the way people want to rally around us? It's like a, a waiter with a gun to your head saying, you will order the broccoli, not the hamburger. This is like the attitude that people think Christians have. It's, I'm stuck in this. I have to. It's sad. God's watching me. God will get me. So therefore, I will do it. It's horrible. So think about it for a moment. Most people learn about our faith when we refuse to participate with them socially. So, uh, hey, man, you want to grab a beer after work? <clears throat> I, don't, uh, I don't drink. How come? I'm a Christian. Sounds fun. Can't wait to go to church with you. Most people find out we are Christian when we try to engage with them socially and they find out we're not allowed to do what you're allowed to do. That's a horrible introduction. That's a horrible testimony to our friends and family that they ask us to do something and our response is something like this. No, no, I'm a Christian. No, I'm a Christian. Hey, let's all go out. Let's all go out to the beach this weekend. Come on, it'll be fun. Let's all take our clothes off and run around in our underwear. It'd be a blast. I, I can't do that. I'm a, I'm a Christian. Oh, well, enjoy knitting this weekend. Enjoy being on Facebook again and again and again, living through everybody else's lives. Enjoy building your birdhouses or whatever you Christian people do. Enjoy your fun life since you can't do anything. And every time I talk to you, it's about what you can't do. This is so exciting. I can't wait to go to your church on Sunday and find out what I cannot do. This would be so much fun. Hey, let's tell some dirty jokes. Oh, I don't do that. I'm, I'm a Christian. I will not laugh at that joke. In fact, I will have a very stern look on my face. 
the whole time you're telling it to prove to you, I am a Christian. Oh, wow, you are a Christian. You have done well. If you apply with things like this, my pastor told me to. <laughs> That's a good one right there. That makes me sound like a really cool cat, doesn't it? Like I'm going around, everybody like, you need to change this, change this, change this. My pastor made me. It's his fault, not my fault. Go talk to my pastor. If you, if you reply like this, my religion told me to, or I'm a Christian, or God forbid I'm a Pentecostal, because they're already going to sum you up in all kinds of weird ways when you say that. They're going to they're gonna put you on the news with the one that got in jail. That's what they're going to do. They're going to put you in there with all the other people that are handling the snakes is what they're going to do. And you say, I'm not going to do it because I'm Pentecostal. That's just what they are ready to hear right there. They're ready for that. They're just expecting that reply. The Bible says it somewhere. That's another one that's good. Well, it's in the Bible. Where at? I don't know. But it's there. Okay, good job. Now, now you're saying you have to love Jesus. <laughs> I, know, I know it's there, but not enough to study it and find out where. It's like, oh, wow, that's, that's, that's awesome. Most people will think when you say those things that this sounds like a bunch of rules, that church sounds like a bunch of rules, that, that our Christian life is just a bunch of rules. So tonight, we have come to respond. Do Christians have to follow a bunch of rules? Is God some mean, scary God going to beat us up when we make mistakes? First, we are asking the wrong question. It's not, do Christians have to follow a bunch of rules, but rather, do people have to follow a bunch of rules? We need to separate this out and ask this question first. Do people have to follow a bunch of rules? You see, as Christians, we actually believe that the one God we know to be Jesus Christ made every human being on the earth. We believe that. We believe that God loves non-Christians. We believe that God made non-Christians. We believe that when you start talking about God, you talk about God and humanity, not about God and Christians. That's where we begin. This is where the Bible begins. So the answer is no. Not one single human on earth has to do anything God told them to do. No. Everybody say no. Don't have to do it. No one is going to make you do it. Ever. How could they? People that say things like, my pastor made me. I would love to watch me take on the Owls family and make them all turn into a bunch of at the front of church, on your knees, every service. I like to see me, my 205 pounds, six foot two, skinny little dude, take on his whole family and make every one of them do everything the Bible says, just me by myself. Now what pastor out there can go make people do that? No one makes you do it. So let's just start right now by saying no pastor ever made anybody do anything. Now they may have scared them, they may have hyped them up, but they never made them do it. Because you, as a human being, have the freedom to make your own choices. You can do what you want, when you want, but here's what you don't have. You don't have the freedom to ignore the consequences. Now this is where we get into the, the trouble here. It's because Christianity is all about the consequence. It's not about taking away our liberty or our freedom. It's about changing our choices to where we have a better outcome. So we have to first ask the question, do people, do they have to do everything God says? No, God said that we could, we could do what we wanted to. He just said, don't be surprised that there's consequences to our actions. Let me give you a scenario. Um, just like a homeless man on the street doesn't have to take the offer of the nice man to live at his home, get cleaned up, and get a real job, he can turn it down. So can you turn down your choice to get your life cleaned up, to have a hope of eternity, and to turn things around in G with Jesus Christ. No one's making you do it. No one's making you change. No one's making you get up out of the mess and junk that you're in. It is completely a choice. He can choose, that homeless man can choose to live with no rules under the bridge every day. Except for when the police show up because he broke the law. And then even then he gets in trouble. So... Let me make it clear, in our culture, in society, in life with God, God will not make us do anything, but he will let us live homeless. He will let us deal with the choices of our life. Because the only way to learn is to go through the pain and make the change. This is the quickest way to grow up and learn, is to deal with the consequences. 
So let it be known, we don't have to do anything we don't want to do. None of us. I don't. You don't. None of us. Everybody say, no one does. We're free to do and choose to do what we want. But listen closely. In order to have a relationship with anybody, with anybody, anyone, including Jesus Christ, you would have to choose to put them above your own desires. This is how relationships work. I don't care if you're atheist or if you're Christian, if you want to stay married, you have to put the other person's needs above your own. Call it rules or call it relationship, I don't care. All I know is this, you've got to give in to something to keep something. You have got to give up to something to keep something. This is nothing new. It's not a new concept not a Christian or atheist concept. It's the way God made it. If you want to have a relationship, you've got to go by a set of guidelines to maintain it. It's just the way it works. I think you all agree with me. This is how relationships work. Rules are simply the bumper rails, for some of you that are bad at bowling, they're the bumper rails on the bowling alley. Rules don't mean you're a good bowler. Rules are there to assist you until you grow up and do it because you love it. Rules aren't the finished plan of God. I'm already preaching now, aren't I? Rules are not the best plan of God. Rules are the first plan of God. Rules are what God institutes until you love them. Rules are what you need until you see them. Rules are what you got to have until you realize, put down the bumper rails, uh, I'll bowl because I love bowling. I'll do this because he's worthy to worship. But the whole plan of God always begins with rules, and then relationship transcends rules. So rules are like the bumpers that you put up when you don't know how to bowl, but over time you get better at it, you mature, and you no longer need the support of rules to scare you into action because it turns into something you want to do. Kind of like when you're young and you're disobedient to your parents all the time and then you get older and realize how much of a jerk you were and how much they gave to you and sacrificed for you. And all of a sudden, you want to bless them because you now see clearly that they gave everything so you could have a good life. At first, you were rebellious because you had the bumper rails up. You couldn't do it on your own. You had to have something guiding you. It's called, it's called punishment. See, when you're younger, you have to have punishment because of your immaturity. But over time, over revelation, over the fullness of the plan, you grow up one day and go, I don't need your punishment anymore, Mom and Dad. Let me help you because now I see clearly I want to love you like you've loved me. This is the way the progression through Scripture has worked. So a Christian is only a Christian because he or she chooses to submit their life to Jesus Christ. That's the only way. Christianity is a choice. No one has to make it. You don't have to make it. And when I'm done preaching and you hear this message, you don't have to be one. You don't have to. I am going to be one. I chose to be one. I want to be one. And there's lots of reasons why that I want to be one. I enjoy submitting my life to Jesus Christ. And this is where somebody says, oh, oh, I caught you. You can't live how you want and be a Christian. You said submit to him. I caught you. You're submitted to him. That means you got to do what he says. He's your boss. He's your boss. If he says jump, you got to jump. If he says do it, then you're like a slave. You see, I caught you, but hold on a second. Unlike a slave, I can walk anytime I want. So let's make this really clear. He's not keeping me in this thing. He's not making me stay a Christian. It's my choice every day. I don't get signed up and get locked in. There is no once saved, always saved doctrine. That's why the Bible says there's a falling away because there are people that can walk out. If you want to walk out, you can walk out. If you want to take the forbidden fruit and be selfish, you can do it. God always has a back door for people. You're never stuck in this thing. You can leave when you want to. I'm not his slave. I choose to live this life. I love this life. I can walk out when I want. I could be selfish. I could save a lot of money too. I could do it all on my own. But I'd rather have this life. I'd rather do it this way. 
Wait a minute. Let me, let me give you some clarity here, okay? You can live how you want, and you can play professional football, right? Live however you want, right? Eat what you want, do what you want. Am I understanding you correctly? Because we got people in the world know what freedom is. Okay, let's ask the professional athletes who make a million dollars, millions of dollars a year. Let's ask them what their daily lifestyle includes. Can they go eat what they want? Can they just wake up and tell coach I'm not coming to practice today? Can they just go take trips all year long and still play at the game when the game starts? Can they, can they not have to work out and not have to burn all that fat off or gr and grow muscle? Can they do what they want or are they locked in? Oh, I know, I know it seemed beautiful to you because you thought that they had such a good life, but you don't understand what LeBron James goes through to be LeBron James. You don't understand that he's got to get up every morning and work out all day and eat right and live right and go to the doctors and go to the trainers. He is locked into his profession. He loves it. He likes it. He does it, but it costs him. It's a choice he made. He can't do whatever he wants, not and be that all-star, not and be that champion. There is a price with every lifestyle we choose. Every lifestyle we choose. You, have, you don't have the freedom you think you do. Can you be an Olympic track star and do what you want every day? Can you just let yourself go? 400-pound Olympic track star? Krispy Kreme for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Can you do that and be an Olympic track star? Come on, go have your freedom, Mr. Olympic. You're an Olympic track star. Go do what you want. Don't let nobody tell you what to do, Olympic track star. Oh, but he won't do that, will he? Because he's locked into his lifestyle. It looks like he's a prisoner, doesn't it? But he's happy. You know why he's happy? Because he's paying the price for the consequence. He wants to be the track star. So he, he makes the sacrifice to be the track star. He's not sad. He's not upset. Excuse me, those of you who climb Mount Everest without training. Excuse me, those of you who just go out there and just say, you know what, I climbed my backyard hill. I think I can make Mount Everest this week. Let's go. Excuse me, those of you who think that you can live how you want and have great things in life, it's impossible. Excuse me, those of you who work at Best Buy, Target, and God forbid, Starbucks, because they will own you. Starbucks will tell you who can use the bathroom and who can't use the bathroom. Starbucks will tell you what you can say or not say, whether you can say a gender name or not say a gender name. Starbucks owns you when you work for Starbucks. Now, all of a sudden, you've got all these rules, and you're telling me you want to be free. For $9.95 an hour, they tell you how to dress. They tell you how to act, how to smile. And if you work at Chick-fil-A, they make you say my pleasure. Because nobody says that in real life. Nobody. They force you to. It's on camera. You'll get, I'm pretty sure you get fired if you don't say it. You, you are not free when you make the choice to work for a company. Because as long as you choose to work at that company, you do what they tell you. Now, since we're talking about how you don't like rules, how come you live by them every day? Since we're talking about how there's no rules, we should have freedom. How come every day you wake up and live rules and you get that paycheck and you're happy to go back to work and mentor that boss? You understand what a boss means? It means someone tells you what to do. This is the real world we live in here. So excuse me, but you let your, your real boss, your boss, boss you because of the benefits that you get at the end of the week. You let someone boss you for money. Oh, but you like freedom. Well, go on and be free. Go on and quit that job. Go be free. Go be your own boss. Don't have the other man you're working for, the other woman you're working for. Go free because we've got this spirit and this attitude that says, uh, I want to do whatever I want, and why would you ever serve a God that you can't do whatever you want, but you do it every day? Because you found out you're better off working for the other man than just hoping you make it tomorrow. Because there's a sense of security knowing that I can work for this company and they're going to take care of me and I'm going to submit to them and they're going to take care of me. And this is why people every day go out there and they have a boss and they submit. They submit because they're covered. They submit because they're taken care of. They submit because of security and people do it all the time. So let me clarify tonight and tell you that I, I Kurt Green, can do whatever I stinking want to do. I can quit. I can wear a tank top up in here in front of Facebook Live. I'd probably only do it, do it once, but I could do it. I could paint my hair pink and do flips, which wouldn't probably flips. They'd be more like falling down over and over. I could do that if I wanted to. I can do whatever I want to do. No one's going to stop me. No one's going to, well, eventually they might stop me. They might tackle me. I, but I can, I can try to do whatever I want to do. 
I am free to do what I want to do. But I have learned everything that I have been commanded to do by Jesus Christ has been good for me. I have learned every teaching, every law, every commandment has been for my good. And I'm not talking about heaven. I'm talking about good every day of my life. Everything Jesus has commanded me to do has been because he loves me and he wants me to be happy. He is love. He is mercy. He is grace. This God is telling me what to do because I'm too thick-headed to do what's right for me. So he's got to force me to because he knows me better than I know me because he made me and he knows what will make me happy. And that's why I do what Jesus wants me to do because he knows what's best for me. I like this life. His teachings on marriage make my marriage better. I like it. When I listen to his teachings in the Bible, how I'm supposed to love my wife, my wife is supposed to respect and honor me, it makes my marriage better. I don't know how you get your marriage to be better, but I'm pretty sure that there's atheists out there telling you behind closed doors $100 an hour to do the same thing Jesus told us thousands of years ago. You can't come up with a new method than that. It's mutual. You love each other, there has to be respect. Jesus has a plan for marriages, and his plan is better for me. His teaching on moderation makes my finances and my physical health much better. Because when Jesus teaches on moderation, it helps me not blow my money, and it helps me not have to eat everything I see. Because I'm supposed to be moderate in all things. See, Jesus does all this stuff for me, not for him. He wants me to be happy. So don't feel sorry for me. His teachings on substance abuse protect me from hurting myself or hurting somebody else. Don't feel sorry for me. I like my life substance-free. I like my life not addicted to something. I like my life not out there having to worry about killing somebody on the highway tonight. I like my life when Jesus says, don't you put that junk in your body. Feel sorry for me. I can drink it tonight if I want to. I could. I could smoke it. I could pop the pill, but I don't do it because his ways are better and higher than my ways. And I have learned that listening to Jesus Christ is better for me and for you. His teachings on giving financially something to something bigger than myself was popular before you ever started giving to save the rainforest. Before you ever started buying shoes so some kid in Africa could have another pair. This whole new age generation who everybody wants to be supporting a nonprofit is nothing new. It's nothing new. The Lord was the first one to tell people to give. The Holy Ghost was the first spirit to say you support a nonprofit. My God, come up with the concept of helping the poor and helping the broken, not your society, not your culture. You're copying my God when you give to a nonprofit. These people that are like, I don't believe in giving to churches, but yet you'll pay the salary of someone who stitches bags together for sleeping bags for someone that over in the Amazon. How do you think they pay their bills? They pay their bills when you give $500 donations and they have salaries. Did you know that? I don't think people know that nonprofits have salaries. If they have a full-time staff, they pay their workers. Do you think those people don't eat? Those people that work for nonprofit organizations get paid by the money you donate. So everybody out there that says you shouldn't be given to a church, you're doing worse. You're given to something temporary where people in the kingdom of God are given to something eternal. You can help somebody's belly for one night. We can help somebody's spirit for the rest of their life. We can cast out demons with the $100 in this offering plate. We can do so much more eternally. So I don't want to hear people say, you're wasting your money down there at that church. When you all support all these other endeavors and have no clue where the money goes, y'all take y'all's trash down to Salvation Army and take your trash down to Goodwill and they profit on it. Y'all didn't know that Goodwill takes your stuff and makes money on it. That dude's rolling. You know how much money the guy that owns Goodwill's making? He's banking. Thank y'all for your support. I'm going to open up a Goodwill in the back of the church. <laughs> we got one right now. <laughs> We're selling all kinds of leftover stuff. If you want to come buy something, come see us. 4557 East Highway 71, Dove Valley, Texas. 
I found out that Jesus has, has a great plan and people just try to copy him all the time. His teachings on fasting is now becoming a proven scientific way for us to live a healthier life and for us to have a clear mind. It is now scientific that if you have fasting, you'll become healthier and you'll become a lot clearer in your thinking. <gasps> Jesus had that idea a long time ago and now everybody's like, oh, we should be fasting. I, I did some research. Did you know fasting's good? I'm like, have you read the Bible? Fasting came along a long time ago before you ever had the idea of missing a meal. This is a new concept. Uh, now all the cool people are fasting, but Jesus, he's been requiring fasting for a long time and you never understood his ways are always better than our ways. Uh, he's always smarter. He's always a step ahead of us. Uh, he knows what's best for us before we think Figure it out. He always has a plan before we even get the revelation. He's given us the commandment. Because God is so good that he'll give us the commandment before we understand it because his ways are beyond our ways. So I have learned when I don't understand something to go ahead and do it because he's been right 100 times before. He's not going to mess up 101. His teachings on covering our bodies would have helped all these women on the Me Too movement. That's in the Bible. Everybody has been concerned these last several years about women not being clothed and men losing their minds in the workplace and men losing their minds when women aren't dressed right because women want to change the mind of a man, how he's no longer going to be attracted to a woman. That's in the nature DNA of a man. And now women think that it's the man's fault. You're exactly right. Actually, it's sin's fault. If we could fix the sin problem, we could fix the dirty mind of the man problem. So all of you women out there trying to fix the men, I have a solution for you. Help them repent and help them be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, mission of the sins. Help them get the Holy Ghost and that will change the way they see you when they see you. That's the best thing a woman can do. But the Bible had a, a long time ago, the Bible had teaching on the way that we should cover our bodies up because if we would have ever learned to cover our bodies up in society, we wouldn't be having near the problems we have right now in the workplace and relationships. We've got people that are not in love, they're in lust. You know what solves that? Cover up. Maybe they'll actually fall in love with you and not your body. You see, God's ways are higher than our ways, and people are just now figuring it out. I think it's incredible that people like Alicia Keys are not wearing makeup. We have been preaching about this for generations, and now superstars think it's cool. Isn't that neat? that Jesus had the idea of no makeup before Alicia Keys did? Isn't it cool that the movement has already been moved on? Isn't it neat that God had the idea and put it in the Word of God before it ever became popular, became this pop culture thing? Isn't it neat that our God knows more about what's best for society than we do? So the Bible tells us we ought to cover up, and I like that better, because I don't know how in the world you could be married to a woman and let her walk out there and let everybody that works with you at the fire station see your wife wearing nothing in the front yard. I'm sorry, but I thought that was your wife. Why is it cool with you that she walks out there in the front yard watering her grass with a bikini on? That doesn't bother you, sir? That would bother me. See, the ways of God make life so much better. But we have got to understand, you don't feel sorry for us. What we do, we enjoy doing because it makes our life better. It protects us. It takes away so many issues and drama that comes with ignoring the ways of God. I love the teachings that God has to men. The Bible literally says in the New Testament for men to control their thoughts and to have pure thoughts so that they won't treat women like property. Oh, all the answers that people are looking for in society. What's the answer? The answer is get the Holy Ghost. The answer is listen to Jesus because Jesus is a perfect gentleman. And nobody will teach a man to be better than, to a woman than Jesus Christ. The church has all the answers for the, what's wrong in society, all of them. And I love his teachings because his teachings help us as men not treat women like property. His teachings on forgiveness are used by atheist psychologists every day. You must forgive. You must forgive. Don't hold on to all that. They're, they're, you're paying $100 an hour when you could have read it in the scripture for free. It's like, wow, 
We've learned that if you harbor unforgiveness, it can cause damage. That's why Jesus said, forgive seven times 70. He commanded us to, that we must forgive or we will not be forgiven. You know what I have learned in that scripture? That if you don't forgive people, a root of bitterness will come into you that will make you unforgivable to God. It doesn't just mean that God will just look over you and say, I won't forgive you. It means that if you live with unforgiveness, uh, something will rot inside of you to where now you can't be holy anymore. It's not just like God saying, here, you did this, take this. It's deeper than that. So I like God's teachings. I love his teachings on not getting divorced because maybe you have never met a teenager or a child whose parents are going through a divorce. Maybe you've never seen the drama that that family goes through when they find out that dad's leaving and dad was the best friend of the son. Maybe God had it right when he said we should try to work our marriages out and not just get divorced every time we have a bad day. Man, it seems like we're finding out that so many problems in homes and with children has been because of split homes that could have been avoided if we would have simply put our lives in the hand of Jesus Christ and tried to work out these things. His teachings on love would literally fix every social problem in the entire world right now. Every social problem in the world if we would submit to the teaching of Jesus on love, it would change every problem in the entire world socially. You wouldn't need the bombs, guns, the dictators. If everyone right now picked up the teaching of Jesus and said, I'm going to love my neighbor as myself, it would fix every problem in the world. Don't feel sorry for me because I am taught to love. I'm taught to love my neighbor. When you go look for a job and people ask you why you need off on Sunday and Wednesdays, you tell your boss this, trust me, you don't want to see me after I've missed church on Sunday and Wednesday. My church teaches me how to love my neighbor. My church teaches me how to be a giver. My church teaches me how to not have pride. My church teaches me how to make sure and honor my word. And when I say I'm going to show up, I'm going to work. You see, everything in Christianity makes us better. And we should be better on our jobs, better in the, in the citizenship, better in the park, better in our neighborhoods. This life is the best life on the earth. You can't beat the life of a Christian. So don't feel sorry for us tonight. I love the teachings of Jesus. It makes our life better. Adam and Eve are the first humans. They were probably given a whole, whole bunch of rules, right? Since that's the way God is. He just wants to give everyone so many rules. Surely God's original plan was, was just to sit around commanding them all day, scrub my toes, fix my hair, I'll beat you. Surely God is so mean and so difficult. Surely God gave them a million rules because that's what Christians are. They're just rules, right? No, no, actually they were told that if they want to give up the freedom of having it, all the food and all the fruit and everything amazing in this paradise, they were told you could give it all up and be selfish and do things your way. After all, the good things that God had given them, they could definitely give it all up after everything God has done, they could choose to walk away. And how did he do that? He placed a tree, a choice, in the middle of the garden. Everybody said the middle. He placed a choice in the middle of their home. They lived in the garden. Every day they woke up, they look at the tree, and they look at everything they had, and they would see one thing they could not do, and they would see a lot of things that they could do. You understand? This is how, this is how the original plan of God was. They looked around in their home that God made, and they saw, I can eat that, I can go there, I can eat that, I can enjoy that, I can have all that, that whole area is mine, that water, that water. Okay, I can't have that one tree. This is the will of God for humanity. One simple forbidden thing. And even at that, there was no angel with a sword guarding them from taking that forbidden fruit. It was accessible. It was easy to grab because God will never turn paradise into prison. He will always let you walk away because how in the world could he be a fair God and not give us a way out? 
You are always allowed out of the grace of God. You are always able to walk away from Jesus Christ. You are always welcome to take life into your own hands, but be careful because when you take life into your own hands, you better hope you're powerful because you better be able to calm storms. You better be able to get out of the hell, death, and the grave. You better be able to be your own master because, you see, when you take life into your own hands, here's the problem. You better hope you can fix everything that goes wrong because God won't be the one to help you anymore because you walked out. You walked out by your choice. So, I conclude with this thought on this subject. Don't feel sorry for me, for my family, or for our church any longer. Yes, I'm a Christian, and yes, there is some pain in this Christian life, but I have learned there is far more gain than pain in this Christian walk. I'm so sorry tonight that you may not have met a real Christian yet. I'm sorry you met a religious person who seemed like they were Jesus on the outside but never learned to live or love like Jesus on the inside. But do not feel sorry for Christians because real Christians have the best life. Best life. Best life. Best life. Now here comes this part in every conversation where I tell people that I have a great life that they, for some reason, don't want me to have a good life, and they try to combat me. And here's what they say. And you've heard it all the time, and I will talk about this tonight to give more light on the subject when we're dealing with people who don't understand the goodness of our God. This is what they say. But if God is so loving, why dot, dot, dot? Oh, how many times have I heard people say that? Well, if God is so loving, how come? Oh, y'all have all heard that, right? Maybe you've even thought that. Oh, we have all heard that statement. Why did, why did God murder people in the Bible if God is so loving? Why, why in the Bible were bad things allowed to happen in the Bible? How come God didn't just, just make everything good in the Bible? This is what we get a lot. How many have ever had someone ask you about why things in the Old Testament happen, like, like people would kill each other in the Old Testament? Well, if God is love, and God is love, and how come people kill each other? Old Testament, let me help you tonight with that, okay? First of all, what we have here is someone who wants to debate God, who doesn't know the Bible, who doesn't study the Bible, and doesn't seek God. What we have here is typically someone who does not dedicate any time at all trying to really find out who God is, but they look for ways to justify their life of sin, to not have to submit to Jesus Christ. Now, this is very hard because we are on two different levels of knowledge. When a person like this comes at you, they really, uh, they're difficult to talk to. And if you want to use what you don't understand in the Bible to justify why you don't want to give God a chance, I really can't help this person, okay? It's like telling Neil Armstrong that you think the moon landing is fake. How funny would that be if you're sitting in NASA and all the guys are sitting there like, you know this ain't real, right? <laughs> you know this is all big scam, right? You know there no one ever was really on the moon, right? Well, you really can't talk to astronauts that way. You could talk to your buddies while you're drunk in the front of your house maybe one night. But you can't talk to people with experience because they will think you're crazy. And whenever you come at a Christian with things like, now, if God is love, how come you see people killing people in the Old Testament you really are on a different level in knowledge, and we would both have to spend time searching and studying scriptures together to have a good conversation about whether the Old Testament showed an unloving God. So, if we are to discuss the subject rationally, logically, we have to use evidence at hand to come up with some kind of end conclusion. Let me summarize the answer on this one for all of you, even though it would take years of study to really understand, let me do the best I can to help people who are confused about the God of the Old Testament. Notice the progression throughout the Bible. Follow along with me very closely. God makes paradise optional for Adam and Eve, the first humans. Second, they choose to be selfish and they break the relationship with God. Third, God gives people space for a while and people began to naturally get hateful and nasty without his intervention. The world gets wicked Wicked. So finally, God, being 
the only righteous judge that can truly judge the hearts of men, looks at the earth and says, I see humanity and they only imagine evil continually, wicked continually, and I'm going to destroy the earth. First of all, how could God destroy people? Because God's the only righteous judge. He's the only one that knows when time's up for you and time's up for me. If he does not know that, we're in trouble. Because if God cannot righteously judge, then you're, you and I are in a tough spot when it comes to judgment day. I believe our God to be God knows everything about everybody. And I know that if God sees that there's nothing but wickedness in a person and they will not repent and not be right, that God can justifiably say, time's up for you. And God wiped the earth. He righteously judged. Everyone but Noah and his family lived because Noah was righteous. From this moment in the Old Testament, generations continue to grow, multiply year after year. They're expanding people. They're are being born. And God desires finally a people called to himself, kind of like Adam and Eve once again. And what happens is, is God calls Abram, a man to set apart from his people, from his family. And he leaves. He leaves. And he begins to start a nation, a nation that began with a few people and that ended up being millions of people in Egypt under the Egyptian slave, as slaves under the Egyptian powers. So Moses is born, Moses is used to deliver them out of the Egyptians into the wilderness. Now they are set free and they are in the wilderness. This is a crash course on the Old Testament. They are now free in the wilderness. Some people are set free and begin to rebel and complain and say they would rather go back to Egypt where they were slaves. That's one of the worst things you can say to someone who's just set you free. One of the most disrespectful, rebellious things you could ever say to somebody who just set you free is, send me back. I don't want to be here in this freedom. But that's how nasty and dirty some of these people were who God delivered out of Egypt. So you know what God did? God's a righteous judge. God at times would judge them and punish them, and they, some of them, would be killed. Those who submitted would be blessed. This was how God was acting in the Old Testament. Over time, they were given laws to go by, some with harsh punishments, some where they would die. I like to call them rules. Rules first showed up in the Word of God in the Old Testament. And you ask the question, why would there be rules in the Old Testament? Rules are required in the absence of love. You have to have them. Without rules, without rules there are no penalties. And there is never any peace without a penalty unless there's love. How do you create order? How do you create movement? How do you create unity without love? You use penalty. Fear. Fear and penalty are the only ways to get immature people to do what you this is the reason why you tell your kids, do what I say or you will get grounded or do what I say and you'll get in trouble. Why aren't you saying, do what I say because I love you? Because when's the last time your five-year-old made his bed because you said, I love you? You know, love doesn't work on immaturity. Love does not work on immaturity. You have to grow up for love to work. So how do you save, listen to me, how do you save immaturity? I don't know. How do you do it? Threaten them. <laughs> how do you save a child from not touching an electrical outlet? Do you tell them you love them? Or do you tell them they're going to get in bad trouble if they touch it? Because what has been proven to work over the years? The I love you or the you're in trouble? To a child, trouble is the way to protect them and save them. How did God save people in the Old Testament? Law. How does God save immature people? Rules. Is this the best way to save people? No. Why? Because it forces you to have a penalty. The only power the law has is in the penalty of disobeying the law. Therefore, the only reason people are doing what you've asked them is because they're afraid of being stoned or being killed. It's not because they love you. Because if they loved you, you wouldn't need rules. So God operates through harsh penalty in the Old Testament because of the hardness of the hearts of man. 
God was only harsh because the people were rebellious, not submissive, not giving in, and they could have been. But listen to me. Even in the Old Testament, God would give grace and blessings to people. When his people would repent and live righteously, God would bless people. Even in the Old Testament, God showed his love. Even in the Old Testament. I am so glad that Jesus came and in his own words, he came to fulfill or to finish what the law began and could not do. The law, the rules were weak, but when Jesus came, he explained that what was permitted in the Old Testament was no longer permitted now. It was only permitted due to the hardness of men's hearts and there was no spirit of power to overcome the sin of man's heart. This is why when Jesus gave himself on the cross and preached and lived love and the Holy Ghost came back and fell on 120 believers that now the law had been fulfilled because now the law had been written on the heart of men. No longer did men have to memorize every law in the Word of God, but now the laws would come to them. Now the laws would reveal on a daily basis. Now you'll be walking down the mall and the law of God will say help them pay for the food or the law of God will say help them open a door or the law of God will say help them carry their groceries. That can't be in a book. It's in the heart. His ways are greater. Now the rules are written daily. Daily does God speak to us and say, love your neighbor and how to love your neighbor, how to carry out the law of God. Jesus came. Jesus preached love. Jesus came to reveal the fullness of God. No longer can we use the Old Testament for an excuse to have a hard heart against God. No longer can we use the Old Testament to say that our God is not a loving God. Just because you're unclear of who God was showing himself to be in the Old Testament means you're ignoring Jesus Christ in the New Testament. You have got to finish the story before you learn God because all the fullness of the Godhead dwelleth bodily in Jesus Christ. Until you know Jesus, you do not know God. You might know a part of God, judgment, but until you know Jesus, you don't know grace. You need to go learn about Jesus and then come talk to me about serving him. But quit looking in the Old Testament trying to find a reason to love him because that's not the fullness of God. That's a part of God. The Old Testament God was not worthy to serve. This is why Jesus came and robed himself in flesh and dwelt among us so that we could behold the glory of the only begotten of the Son of God. We need to see him in the fullness to know he's worthy to serve. So when someone tells you, oh, oh, God is love, how come in the Old Testament you tell them, stop looking at a part of God. Look at the fullness of God. God is warrior and God is savior. He's lion and he is lamb. You need to have the fullness of God in your life. Let me close. Here's the second thing people say when they say things like, oh, you Christians have it so good. Well, how come? Bad things happen to good people. Oh, it's a classic. I hope you're ready for the answer. I'm going to help people right now. I'm going to help some of you even that are in church that don't understand this. First of all, can I be logical for a moment? There is a difference between good and godly. They're not the same. Good is your measurement of people. Now, how smart are you to walk around telling me who's good and who's not? You know what? There's people I have met that I thought were good. Ooh, man, I found out they were dirty. They were mean. They were nasty. And I met people I thought were pretty mean that the more I got to know them, I found out they were pretty good. So who are you and who am I to walk around saying who's good and what the definition of good is? There's a difference between someone you meet that is good and someone you meet that is godly. Second of all, no one knows true goodness except God. He's the only righteous judge. God is the only one that knows who is good. In fact, even Jesus himself said, call no one good except God. 
So this whole notion that bad things happen to good people, I ask you, who's the good person we're talking about that does not deserve a bad thing? Because last time I checked, we were all sinners, fallen, and deserving of bad things. Who do we think that we are that we think we should never have a bad day? Who do we think we are that we should never die? We sound like gods. We sound like we're gods to question God. Why do good things happen to why do bad things happen to good people? That's probably the other question for another series that is much more difficult to answer because it doesn't make sense. Third of all, it, is it bad if it leads to good? Like, uh, okay, some of you single ladies, if, you're, if you have a flat tire on the side of the road, and you're like, it's just what I needed was a flat tire. God, I serve you. How come I'm on the side of the road with flat tires raining? I thought you loved me. And all of a sudden, this gorgeous preacher, single, pulls up in a convertible. You know, one of those kind of preachers. <laughs> Sorry, I should say a Lincoln town car. That's probably a little bit more modest than. Let's just put him in a truck, okay? He's in a truck. And he's like, Excuse me, ma'am, can I help you fix your tire? Oh, look what the Lord has done. Look what the Lord has done. Isn't it funny how bad things can end good? And we don't understand how our God, being the chess master, can take a bad thing and turn it into good. We don't understand that God can make something horrible be the setup for something great. You don't know God when you say stuff like, how come bad things happen to good people? All I know is this, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or a seed begging for bread. And the steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord. And though he walk through a pit or through a valley, it's not bad. When God gets done, it ends up good. For thou preparest a table for me in the presence of my enemies. This might not be as bad as you think it is if you'll keep your faith. This may end up being a good thing for that good man. I come to tell you tonight, good things happen to good people. Sometimes they're in the vehicle of something bad, but they always take you to something better because the Lord is faithful. So don't you ever let anybody tell you why. Why does your God let bad things happen to good people? If the man in my church with cancer dies, it's a good thing because he gets to go to heaven. I couldn't serve a God like that. Oh, we can because God's taken all of our bad days and he has set us up for better times. So I've come to answer that question tonight. Please understand, how can God be love, this kind of ties into it, and send people to hell? First of all, hell was not created for humanity. Hell was created for the spiritual rebellion, for spiritual fallen angels, and for the devil. Hell is a place of, of rebellion. Hell is a place for those who have been cast out. Hell is not for, built for humanity. Heaven, though, was made for people. Because the Bible says, Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you so that where I am, I want you right there with me. What is heaven? Heaven is living out the rest of your life like you are on the earth with Jesus. You know why heaven is so sweet and so good? Because Jesus will be there. In fact, hell is so bad because Jesus won't be there. You know why it's like fire? Because you've never felt what it feels like to not have God. Every day on the earth, even the atheists who don't believe in God are around him. But I'm going to tell you, there's going to come a day when there's a heaven and there's a hell. And Jesus will not be in hell. And the reason why hell will be so bad is because you will have chosen to be there, away from God, when you had every opportunity to be with Him, when He died on a cross for you, 
So let's make this very clear tonight that God does not send people to hell. Hell is a choice to eat the forbidden fruit. You can have life, you can stay with Jesus, or you can be your own master, and you can be away from Jesus. You know what really people want? They want to be in heaven, but just not be around Jesus. Most people I've met want the heaven without the Jesus part. They want to make sure they have a life of bliss for eternity without having to have anyone they give into, kind of like sex before marriage. They don't want the commitment. They just want all the perks. There's always two options in relationships, though. Please hear me tonight as I'm, I'm wrapping up the last few moments. You either want one relationship or you don't. That's it. There's not a third option. You either want a relationship or you don't. I, I'm telling you about heaven and hell right now in the same way. You either want a relationship, heaven, or you don't, hell. For those people who think there should be a third option, where's your third option? In your marriage. You're either together or you're not. Well, why, why is it bad for us as Christians to believe there is a heaven and a hell? Only two options. When relationships are literally either together or apart, it's not a strange. Here's why we have a hard time swallowing the notion. Because whenever you break up with someone on the earth, it's not hell. But that person wasn't life either. When you break up with Jesus, you're not just breaking up with someone. You're breaking up with life, peace, joy, power, salvation, hope, sanity. Everything you're looking for is in Jesus. When you break from him, you have none of those things forever. So, my God does not send people to hell. He lets you choose who you want to hang out with forever. You're either going to hang out with him forever or you're not. But you can't want heaven because you don't want hell. It's not how it works. The only way it works is that you want heaven. You know why you want heaven? Because you want Jesus. Because the only reason heaven's nice is because Jesus will be there. If Jesus were in hell, hell would be heaven. Wherever Jesus goes is where I want to be. And this is exactly the reason why Jesus said, where I go, you can be with me. Because what makes it heaven is being at the feet of Jesus, the one I fell in love with on the earth, I want to live with forever. If you don't like church, you won't like heaven. You can be with the hypocrites in heaven or the hypocrites in hell. But I'm choosing to be with the people who are messed up in heaven than the people who are messed up in hell. So I just wanted to come tonight on this mystery of Christianity 6.0 and help defend that first of all, I love this life and these are not rules to me. These are blessings. And every time I read a commandment, I do not read it with, with some kind of knife in my side. I read it with a, thank you God. Thank you for another wise way of living on this earth. Thank you for a way of protecting me from myself Thank you for protecting my marriage. Thank you for protecting me as a father. Thank you for protecting me as a pastor. Thank you for giving me things in my immaturity that I don't know yet, but I know they're good for me. And so when I read the Word of God, I don't see rules. I see relationship. I see God telling me how He wants to be loved. And I see something incredibly powerful. So please stop saying, that we Christians have rules and we can't do things because we can do whatever we want anytime we want to. Yeah. We love this life. And I pray to God, if you're a member of our church, you'll start telling people what you can do. Yeah. Stop telling them just what you can't do. Every time somebody asks you what you can't do, follow up with something that you can do. Talk about your joy. Talk about what you've gained. Talk about your testimony. Talk about what you've gotten back. Uh, talk about the things you lost that God gave you. But this thing called Christianity is not about rules and regulations. It's about a heart that seeks to please God. Our God is not some mean judge always looking to beat us down. 
for he is forgiving us daily, loving us after fault, after fault, after fault. This is Christianity. Our God loves us. He will not put anybody in hell. He will let us choose. He is such a gentleman that if you want to walk out on the date, you can walk out. If you want to walk out of marriage, you can go. He will not force you against your will. That would be a dictator. Our God loves you enough to let you choose. This is the mystery of Christianity. And I hope that we've helped people tonight understand the way we should respond to the rules of Christianity. I had someone recently tell me, man, my buddy at work wants to know why I don't drink and I try to give him scriptures and stuff. And, and I said, you know what, bro? Stop trying to argue with people who are just looking to argue about alcohol. Take them to Jesus Christ. They don't want to go there because that's convicting. Everybody wants to talk about the rule. No one wants to talk about the reason. Get people off the rule and get them on the reason. Because people will get hung up on the rule. They can't see what you see in your spouse. It's your spouse. You've got to get them off of that. I don't know what you see in God. I know. I know you don't. Let me take you to where I first fell in love with Jesus Christ and why. And they'll get their mind off of what you don't do. And they'll start to see all the things you're allowed to do. And people want to be Christians. They'll want to follow Jesus. Lord, I thank you tonight. And I hope there have been answers to many questions. I hope people tonight have really just sat down and thought about this tonight. I hope there are people, Lord, that are thinking, you know what? I needed this tonight to help me to navigate the waters of difficulty and challenge. I need this God to help me talk to friends and family that it seems like I'm always saying what I don't do and I'm, I'm trying to give them a scripture. They don't even know the Bible. And Lord, I'm looking for a way to describe it and I hope tonight has helped those people. I also hope tonight has helped people who have seen our God as someone who is mean and unfair to explain that no, he's not. No, he is not at all. He's a loving, good, and faithful, just God. He loves us and gives us grace liberally. I hope that people tonight have, have heard about you, Jesus, and are more clear in describing you to their friends and family. There's so much to understand about the mystery, and I ask you to help us continue to learn these things. And everybody say in Jesus' name. God bless you tonight. Thank you so much for joining tonight. You are dismissed in Jesus' name. We'll see you this weekend. Hopefully we'll see you. If you can make it out to church, please come. It's going to be an awesome time of revival. You can be safe out there, all right? God bless you. We'll talk to you later.